I do think that oftentimes we have a misconception that if we're really just succinct and clear with our ideas in a piece of media, then everybody's going to understand those ideas. But the piece of media has to be engaging. You have to pull the viewer through the piece of media or else they're never even going to get exposed to the ideas, right? So most of us, when we engage with a piece of media, it is just for a second or two as we're making a decision as to whether or not we want to continue to engage with it. And then we're moving on. That's Luke Hale, founder and creator of Masters of Engagement. On this episode, we sit down and talk to Luke about what it takes and what it looks like to create engaging media. And we also dive into how difficult it really is to have a daily podcast. This is Lights, Camera, Grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Lights, Camera, Grow podcast. My name is Jared. I'm sitting here again today with Ho. And today on the podcast, we have Luke Hale. How's it going, Luke? Hey, Jared Ho, great to be with you. You guys are bright, shining stars. Happy to be on the podcast. (laughs) Thanks, man. We appreciate the love. Luke owns and runs Masters of Engagement. It's his own brand. Uh, It's his own production company. And I will leave it at that because I know you're going to do a better job of introducing it than I am. Yeah, you know, Masters of Engagement, it's funny. It's a nuanced brand, right? It's not one of those obvious things where it fits in like other players in the marketplace where you can just say, hey, it's an agency or production company. Uh, I have worked as a producer for a very long time creating media, right? So I've done everything from, you know, heavy corporate product stuff to dance exercise comedies and uh, thousands of videos in between. Love producing content. And um, eventually you produce enough content that somebody says, hey, we've got unlimited production budget. Why don't you go make something for us? And uh, and so when you work on those projects, you want to make sure that people are getting a great return on their investment. And it doesn't always work out, right? Like, great production value does not always equal great results when it comes to media. And so, Masters of Engagement, I set up to basically be a consultancy and education around, well, how do you make engaging media? How do you make media that drives business results? And so, it's really a brand designed to help people like me, media producers, to create more engaging content and really kind of have an engagement strategy and understand video engagement strategy and then also, you know, help businesses understand how do I layer video on top of what my business is doing uh, to have an impact on the marketplace, whatever I'm trying to have, right? We're all trying to make uh, mind viruses or, or just make sure that our ideas resonate. And so Masters of Engagement doesn't necessarily produce content. We help other content creators uh, master the strategy piece of what they do. All right. So I guess let's dive into it. When you're talking about creating engaging media, so how, how are you gauging that on your end? Are you doing like a lot of focus groups? Are we just talking about purely metrics? What does that look like? Well, you, ha- you can't ignore any of it, right? Like you can't have bad metrics and focus groups that love it. I find the most common thing that creators have, you know, if they've really mastered the production value and they create great looking media, customers get really excited. And kind of the feedback that you get when you show it to them is usually positive. But that doesn't mean that the piece of media is actually going to function in the way that it needs to. So you kind of have to know the goal beforehand, right? Otherwise, you're creating for for ambiguity, and that, that just doesn't work. So the real question is, hey, have you won more people to your idea? If you know how to measure that, you're in great shape, right? Either uh, additional subscribers to your channel or you're going to move more product. Um, I love sales funnels because that's just the, the easiest place to see whether or not your media is performing. So, 
you know, have you put media throughout your sales funnel? And can you look at conversion points and see how the media is working from one conversion point to the next? And are you moving an increased percentage of people through that funnel? Um, so that's, that's like the easiest place to put media and measure it. Uh, there's definitely places where you put media like brand awareness that it's a little bit more challenging, uh, especially if you're not getting any kind of great metrics in return. Um, yeah. And then even if people watch the piece of media, right? It's like, well, was that the objective? Uh, views is such an interesting metric that everybody seems to use. And really, it, it usually measures the, the effectiveness of the publishing platform. It's not a great measurement for the video producer or the video creator to really gauge how well they're doing. That's really interesting. Um, and out of curiosity, what kind of, when you, you know, do like create media for sales funnels, what kind of media do you see working really well? And how do you see um, companies utilizing that really well? Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, you know, another thing that I do that I set up to promote what I'm doing with Masters of Engagement is a podcast video production daily. Um, and I create a lot of media there. And one of the things I did this season is I talked to five different video producers who work in different industries with different objectives, right? And kind of, we looked in detail at what are they doing? What is their story structure? And how well does it convert? And I did find it really interesting that people that work solely in e-commerce are using different story templates than people that are working in entertainment or raising money for nonprofits or having different objectives. So when it comes specifically to sales funnels, like if you're trying to make a sale, um, I think humor works really, really well. And, you know, getting attention top of funnel is a really challenging uh process. I think that media has to be simple. It has to be clear. It has to introduce itself. Well, you have to know what brand is being represented or what it's going to ask you to do. Um, but then with any piece of media, anytime you're trying to sell any idea, I think it really comes down to, can your piece of media create some empathy, you know, with your audience, can your audience start to see the problem that you solve and can you start to win over their mind share so that they can see themselves using your solution and kind of being the hero of their own story. That was a great summary. You're speaking our language. So one of the philosophies behind our agency is, can we produce stuff that meets art and science? So it's it's speaking to exactly what you're talking about there. And we think about it in a very same, uh, very similar fashion where like, where does this fit in the sales funnel? Um, the humor thing is interesting to me. So we've seen humor run from small brands, launching brands to giant brands like Geico, maybe a smaller brand that was launching the most famous one could possibly be like dollar shave club. Um, the humor that you're telling, is it when you're, when you're, I guess, goal of it to push them through, is it, I want them to remember this and feel, obviously you want them to feel empathy with the brand, but what's the, what's the, the trigger you're looking for in humor specifically? Well, I think the humor pulls down a shield, right? Like, Oh, we don't have to take this interaction quite so serious. Uh, so that can be really beneficial if you're in a funnel environment, right? Where it's like, okay, all of a sudden this relationship feels a little bit more casual and I'm going to jump in and I can engage then in the next step because the next step's probably also going to feel not so confrontational. Um, and then, you know, humor also has the added value of, you know, giving it a little bit of virality. Um, and then also if you look at engagement level analytics, right? Like how long are people consuming a piece of media? If it's really a factually driven piece or, you know, you're trying to give people stats, people are going to watch it until they feel like they understand and then they're going to move on. If it's comedy, if it's humor and you can hit them with the joke every three seconds, 
they don't know the last 10 jokes in the video unless they consume the video. So part of it too, I think is just mind share, right? Like how can you get as much watch time as you can to expose people to more of your ideas? And I do think that oftentimes we have a misconception that if we're really just succinct and clear with our ideas in a piece of media, then everybody's going to understand those ideas. Um, but the piece of media has to be engaging. You have to pull the viewer through the piece of media or else they're never even going to get exposed to the ideas, right? So most of us, when we engage with a piece of media, it is just for a second or two as we're making a decision as to whether or not we want to continue to engage with it. And then we're moving on. So that's critical, I think, to really think about the psychology of how people are going to interact with your media, why they're going to stick through it. And then, you know, you're going to have your opportunity to make your impact. When you're trying to tell a story or keep, you know, keep these people moving through the sales funnel and, and you're creating media for it. How do you do that with just a product? Um, you know, just like a visual. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can show a sexy product. Um, well, what are your what is your uh, process there look like? Well, I think it's it. Does the theme resonate with the audience? Right. It's funny because media can be used to, for two things, right? You can communicate to an audience, but you can also use the media that you create consistently to gather audiences. And so if, if you're setting up your brand or your media effort to gather audiences that are going to become a fan of what you're doing, then it's really important that you create thematic content that resonates with, with your audience, right? So if I'm all about, uh, you know, showing that I have a great sense of style, then I'm, I'm going to associate with brands that put out that, you know, that they have a great sense of style. So what is the theme? Is the theme simplicity, ease of use? Um, you can create thematic content that might not even feature your product, but what it does is it signals that your brand is aligned with what, with the problem your customers are trying to solve. Yeah. 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 And I think uh, a good representation for anybody listening, it would be, I think this happens a lot in car commercials. Um, you know, and to some extent, I guess, other product commercials, but mainly I, cars always come to mind because if you're looking at like a sports car or a family car, maybe they're only showing the product for like a second, but they're displaying the lifestyle that right. they're trying to attain, right? So like a Maserati commercial is going to show you the yacht and the, you know, the yacht club, right, and the right. golf course and all these other things that are loosely a few clicks away from the car. But it's going to create that, invoke that feeling like, oh, this is why I need this car because I got to get up into this, yeah. this style of life. So That's I really, always think of car commercials in that fashion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, not to keep going off on a tangent, but Lamborghini, I don't know if you saw that, you guys know that quote, but like the CEO is like, we don't create ads because our audience isn't watching ads on TV. Right. That's a great. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's, that's pretty badass. gangster. Yeah, that's like, I love it, first that's, of all. That's but pretty gangster. Yeah, I mean, they are a great ad, right? He's just got to get that right. quote to spread. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's pretty um, gangster. But I mean, they're creating media for different uses too. So yeah, yeah that's fascinating. Um, okay, so let's jump really quick. So, or I guess pivot. <laughs> not, not Pivot's been used too much in 2020, so I don't want to use it too, too much, but we'll pivot right here. <laughs> well, all right, let's jump in. What's a recent product that you have not worked with that... Yeah. <laughs> you've seen that had a great story or maybe it's adjacent to to an industry you're working with that you've seen you're like wow that's a really great idea and a great story that they created through that product yeah you know what's interesting this is going to be a, a left field example um you know how we were all so obsessed like three years ago with what red bull was doing and their ability to tell yeah. stories and do live events like red bull still a, an admirable brand right but i think that we were really uh, so impressed with like sending a man to the edge of space and watching him jump off. Maybe we're a little space obsessed. It's a space example I've got for you. But uh, 
I thought it was fascinating to watch the most recent SpaceX launch and to watch the astronauts pulling up in a Tesla. So the, the infrastructure that they had built around the rocket, it wasn't just the scaffolding that was necessary, right? Like they put a little bit of polish on it. They put it in the future just a little bit. And, and just by having them pull up in the Tesla Model E or whatever it was, maybe it was a Model Y, I'm not sure. Uh, but you know, they pull up and it's just showing you the vision of the future, right? Like this is the future where you get out of your sedan and you get into a rocket ship and you go to space. So I think that that is incredible storytelling, even though that's that's probably just using the word storytelling as uh, hyperbole, maybe. Uh, it, it, it tends to be a buzzword, and I hate that because storytelling is something. But I do think that they've they've given you a vision, right, of the future. And I thought that that launch, it was a SpaceX launch. It wasn't a Tesla event, but what incredible product placement and, uh, and the way that they've really kind of built the vision for the future. And, you know, as a kid, I was a NASA fanboy, And so now it's just so easy for me to slide into that, uh, you know, fandom ship there and just love what Tesla's doing and, and what SpaceX is doing. Yeah, guilty. Um, and I'll maybe expand a little bit about that because I was pretty hyped about the launch too. I grew up in uh, in Florida on the Space Coast, so very familiar with all the space programs uh, throughout the 80s and 90s and even when they sort of cut it in the 2000s. Um, but you're right, to see the storytelling, and again, it's more of like, this is what the future can be. It's, it may, it's great to have the product in there, but the vision that Elon has or his team has to... Um, to sort of string that together to give you that hope, like this can be that um, for everybody is, is amazing. And I think, I mean, but the branding is there, right? Because SpaceX designed these spacesuits that probably didn't need to look like they look, they need to look like a Tesla interior, but they do. The interior of the rocket looks like a Tesla car. Um, I mean, even down to like the carbon fiber seating, like, I, just all the details are there and yeah you're right it is that is a great way of um more i guess abstract storytelling but yeah it's yeah, it paints I a mean, perfect picture it, of what it can be if you want to get into strict storytelling right i think the best storytelling brand of our generation and it's it's always easy to pick the big ones right because it's okay who are the brands that everybody knows they're probably doing storytelling like Disney, really well pixar right right absolutely i i really think that it's nike nike has really figured out how to position their brand in individual stories so nike is never the hero in their own storytelling right they're always elevating an athlete or someone who's done something incredible and their brand is the sidekick. It's the, it's the mentor. It's the Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so, you know, the swoosh just happens to be there as part of the story. Uh, but they're able to tell incredible human stories about athletes that have done incredible things. And, and they do it as the sidekick, right? And they don't try and elevate their brand to the hero status. And I really think that that's opened up a world of storytelling for Nike that has made them one of the most beloved brands in, in the nation, right? That's so true. Yeah. yeah. Every campaign that they run is, um, you know, more than an athlete yep. or even, you know, even if you don't agree, whatever your political stance is, but they tied themselves to be a lot, you know, Black yep. Lives Matter. And it's always a story that's involved with the product. Right. That's really cool. Yeah. So I thought they're more political stuff right They're They're partnering with Colin Kaepernick. It's so interesting because they had been. They had, I mean, they're a human brand and that was them coming out and saying, we're a human brand and we're going to stand by people that are doing incredible things, even if it's more than athletics. 
Um, so yeah, I think that that was an interesting one to watch, but it was the same template, right? So standing up to oppression is equivalent in the brand story, right? If you look at it on a simple template to achieving something great athletically. And again, the swoosh is the sidekick. It's not the main character. One that comes to mind that is probably more recent, but I think Target actually has a really good hold on doing this. Um, they've painted this picture of not only, you know, the store is great and it's amazing. And, you know, obviously they've taken a completely different aspect of a department store from like Walmart mm. and, you know, even Costco to some extent. But I think what they do about just making it so inviting into your home where, you know, they've opened up all these different product lines because they've painted this picture of like, this is what life could be. Yeah. Um, all their ads. And again, I feel like maybe the target symbol shows up a little bit more than, you know, the Nike swoosh does, but I, th I feel like it's the same thing. Like the, the symbols, a sidekick, which is why they painted on the dog, you mm -hmm. know, things like that. Um, but yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. This is where it gets really interesting because then you start melding it with business strategy, right? And marketing right. and business are so intertwined uh, because what target is doing there is, is really product curation, right? Like lifestyle curation. Yeah. And that's what so many of us are, are willing to jump in for. I think Trader Joe's is another example of that. Like they produce very little media. I, uh, I'm not even sure if they have an official Instagram account. I, I think I heard they that maybe do they have do a now. podcast. Yeah, right, right. And and then they've got like the flyer, right? Uh, but they do such a great job of curation that the story kind of tells itself. Um, so, and I think Target is a good example of that. Also. Yeah, curation's a better way to. to yeah, I like that because actually, now that you say that, now you know, I think about Trader Joe's. They understand who their audience is, yep. and their audience is not on Instagram. They're listening to podcasts right so it's like um if they're going to create media it's very specific and they curate stories to where their listeners are or where their their fans are if you will like yeah if you're a fan of trader joe's yep um if i can just kind of ask you a follow-up question to that it's easy to talk about the nikes and the the target targets of the trader world joe's, right? right um but we work with a lot of for the lack of better term like companies that think that they're not sexy right right or like right. um smaller. very business yeah. to business driven yeah how, how can they yeah, i mean start i know that, that story so well every business has a sexy angle <laughs> everybody's got a good I side that. yeah if you're in business you solve a problem for a person right so there are people that are interested in solving that problem so you've got to be able to identify who your audience is and tell a story in a way that your audience can be that swoosh right you can be the sidekick to whatever problem it is that they're trying to solve and, you know, human beings are also very predictable in the themes that resonate with us and the things that we want to accomplish, the aspirations that we have. So I think that it's it can be very easy for any brand to find an opportunity to tell a really compelling story. I know that people like to, you know, dog on some certain technologies or B2B, you know, storytellers like that. It's not as glamorous of an industry, but I find so much uh, rewarding work there because there are really interesting stories. You just you just have to work at it. You have to think of the story structure and story science, right? It's 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 not the obvious story, but that's okay um, because yeah, I, I I think any business out there can tell a story as compelling as Nike uh, if they think about it hard enough, right? And maybe if you sell servers for a B two B use case, you're going to have to really think about it. But what are you enabling people to do? There's empathy that can be driven. You know, you can you can help people have a human experience when relating to your brand. 
Yeah, I actually have a good example, and we probably give these guys a lot of love. Maybe maybe even too much at some extent, but I think Wistia is a great example of doing like kind of sexy, cool, creative B2B storytelling where they paint this picture of their how their product is. And the product is almost a secondary thought because you start building this brand affinity, as they would call it. They coined that term in, in a lot of their stuff uh, with just how they operate, how they think about things. They're really kind of edgy and funny and cutting edge and you know sort of they they portray that office lifestyle that you might want to be in um and i and at the end of the day they're just a video player that reports better metrics but they i think they do a great job at that yeah they, they have a brand identity for sure and it's one where you can get to know the personality and if you stick around and you look long enough you're you're actually going to get to know multiple people from within the company too which I think is really interesting how they've not been afraid to create kind of celebrities from within their organization. And I, I think that that's really admirable. I think there's a lot of companies that put up a, a bit of an iron curtain and you can't see the human on the other side of the brand. And I think that that's, that's usually a mistake. Yeah. That's the way, I mean, business was done for the, you know, like last 50, hundred yeah. years, right. Um, if not longer, there's yeah. always that um, sense of professionalism right there's the business and then there's the people right. that run the business and they were never really mixed or matched yeah. the same so let's uh jump again um, actually you touched on this so um business and marketing you mentioned sort of work hand in hand and you know i guess in a lot of companies sometimes they get separated too far um and i feel the same way about creative and marketing mm-hmm. sometimes it gets separated too far how have you been able to sort of handle merging the two or thinking about the two, um, since it's very, very tied into your, your strategy. Yeah. You can't have that divide. Um, and, and I think that that's where you get poor engagement strategies when you have that divide. So often what you see when you have people that have that unlimited production budget is beautiful content that just doesn't tell a story. It just doesn't make an impact. So, you know, you're right in addressing the problem. Uh, finding a solution is so organization specific, right? Because a lot of it is about organizational courage. How do you break down the walls that exist right there? Um, and then a lot of it is about trust too. So how do you work with people for a sustained amount of time where you can get trust? And too often, you know, the creatives want to tell a compelling story, an edgy story, but it's not in harmony with what the brand is trying to accomplish, right? Maybe they picked the wrong theme or they're pointing out the wrong conflict. I've seen some really incredible uh, pieces produced for some major brands that the brand has totally shelved and people would have been extremely interested in the piece and their incredible videos and the world will never see them because the creators picked the wrong conflict. And so there's a huge amount of empathy that has to, that has to be there for this to work. And it has to go both ways, right? Like marketing has to have empathy for the creative and realize what they're going through. But, and maybe it's because I am a creative. I really feel like it's, it's even more critical that, that the creatives have empathy for marketing and for what the brand is and what the brand stands for. And that they listen to the, to the, you know, the minutia of what is the conflict that we need to elevate in our story. And uh, brands don't usually want to talk about conflict, right? But the storytellers, they have to think about it and they have to be able to discern what it is oftentimes without bringing it up in the pre-production process um, in order to, to really nail the piece and to, you know, to get people interested and then also to get the brand to like it. And uh, that, that is a huge mistake that I've seen is people walk away from those pre-production meetings with the wrong idea as far as what, what is the conflict in the story. Uh, and then they go elevate that conflict. And like, you know, if you're showing an internal struggle that the company is having, 
uh, it's never going to fly. It's never going to, it's never going to go out there. So you need to make sure that you're aligning with the conflict that the customer is trying to overcome and you really understand what the brand is trying to accomplish. And then you can go tell the right story. But again, these are relationships that are not forged over one project or two. I really think the very successful relationships are longer term relationships where, because the nuance matters and really getting to know a brand that you're going to be producing content for, it's, it's completely critical for, for nailing this and, and, you know, bringing down that wall that exists between marketing and creative. Yeah. I can really actually really, really agree with you on the, um, that the creative side almost has to lean more into having more empathy for the marketing side to see what they're going through. Cause a lot of times what they're going through is not, um, it's not fun. <laughs> Just to be honest. It's, a lot of it is not fun, you know, and it's, it's obviously very results driven sometimes. Um, and it is results driven. I think creatives can have a lot of fun once they start to open their mind to what are the problems that the business is trying to solve. Yeah. With media. In fact, I actually think I work better when I get pushed into a box and I'm sort of like, okay, now these are the parameters you have to work with. And these are the levers that you can pull and push. That's it. And then from there, it's like, oh, well, to me, it becomes a little easier because now I'm not off in the abyss looking for like some creative conquest <laughs> on my own. So I guess maybe I think a little bit differently than somebody who's maybe on the more pure creative side who's just like, no, I have my idea and vision. I'm going to go execute it one way or another. Well, that happens a lot where creatives, they have this project that they've been wanting to do. And then all of a sudden a brand wants to partner with them. So they're going to tell that story or make that project. Right. And they could have plugged in any one of 10,000 brands. Uh, it's fun for the creative and it can be, you know, career elevating to have those experiences, but that's not how you build those long-term relationships. Right. If you don't have empathy for what the brand is actually trying to do. Yeah. And, and the thing is like it, uh, if you if you sort of take a back seat and you can work into eventually getting the trust and the ability to tell that vision, um, you know, over over a longer relationship time. Yeah. And, you you know, you can find a way to let off creative steam, right? Like your passion projects, they need to exist. They need to come into the world. And, you know, there are opportunities to pitch branded content where you're going and you're making what you want to make and then you get a brand to, to support and sponsor it. But. Uh, you know, it's all, what are you trying to build? What are you trying to build? I think if you're trying to become the next Spike Lee, then that's what you should do. And you shouldn't be right. trying to, to audit what brands are trying to accomplish. But if you're trying to grow an agency or you're trying to create uh, lasting relationships with brands that you want to help to elevate, then it's a, it's a different ball game, right? So what is the end goal? Uh, and you know, you got to think of that when you get started, but you're definitely going to approach those scenarios differently. Um, you, you mentioned conflict earlier. Um, so, how do how do because that seems like the first approach, um, like it, defining the conflict seems to be step one to me uh, for any kind of brand to tell their story. Um, how do how do you concept that? Where do you even start with that? Because um, like for example, again, a B two B company. Um, what what are some like. I don't know. I don't know how to ask you this without giving you like a specific company. You know what I mean? But yeah, you it's so interesting because it's this elementary exercise. But if you don't undertake it for every single project, your project is going to be a failure. So what I think about first is who is the audience that this business or organization is trying to talk to? OK, what is the transformation that they're trying to make in this audience? They're either going from unaware of the product to aware of the product or interested in the product to purchasing the product. Whatever that transformation is, uh, how can you tell a story 
Now, it's going to sound really simple, and we'll abstract it a little bit, right? But how do you tell a story of someone who's already made that transition from unaware to aware? How did their life change? Uh, and so maybe you're just going to tell yourself this whole hypothetical scenario, right? Okay, there was somebody else who was in this boat. They didn't understand what this product was. They discovered what it was. They implemented it in their life, and then they had this change. Well, what was the change? So you don't have to tell that simple of a customer story of someone who made the change, but you need to think about the change. Okay. So maybe the change is about losing weight. So that's a huge transformation that people want to make in their life. So how do you elevate that story, that conflict, right? Of like, how do I overcome my weight challenges? How do I lose weight? You're going to elevate that conflict in your story. And then you're going to, and so all of a sudden you're going to be able to tell a story that's going to resonate with a specific audience who's trying to accomplish a specific thing and show them that transformation happening. And then, okay, well, who was the mentor? Again, we're, we're back to Nike, right? Who was the swoosh that was along for the ride as that, as that transition happened? So there is, there always has to be that conflict. And that conflict is what is the conflict ahead of your audience that's stopping them from making the transition that you need them to make? And then how do I elevate that either thematically or very practically to show the impact that that transformation is going to have? Um, and so the person that makes that transformation, that's the hero of your story, right? Your brand can't be the hero. It's got to be that person that makes the transformation. And then you can add some virality to that transformation, right? How do we get thousands of people to make the same transformation? We need to show them how one person did it. And I, I really think that that's the simplest structure, right? But then you can abstract that, right? So how do you tell that story without any people in it? Or, uh, you know, what if you could only tell that story with audio and you start adding different constraints uh, and, and more creative abstraction? And then you're left with something that might be a little bit more artistically desirable and might also be able to impact a, a broader audience. And I do think that if you have 30 seconds to write a commercial, you're going to just tell the simple story of a person who made the transformation that you need them to make. And then with every you know week of additional pre-production time, you're going to abstract that further and you're going to be able to cast that idea onto a larger audience. But it's really all about that transformation. And there is conflict that is in the middle of the, you know, the apex of that transformation. And so that's the conflict you, you need to be thinking about. Time out, though. You said extra weeks of pre-production that never happens to us. So yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and pretend like yeah, I never heard that. I wasn't going to say anything, but whatever, because I'm on the marketing side and Jared's on creative. He's like, dude, yeah. that's not enough time. And we're always battling like, dude, I need it in two weeks. He's like, no, pre-production itself is like four weeks. Well, this is why you uh, have internal creatives, right? So that they can think about these conflicts long term and they can... Uh, I am a huge proponent of passive brainstorming. Like if I hear about a project... I want to understand the project brief, and then I don't want to even talk to the client for another week, right, until I've really had some passive brainstorming time to think about it. But is that a luxury? Yeah, it's definitely a luxury. Yes. But does that. it pay dividends? <laughs> like, that luxury pays dividends. You can you can do great things with that pre-production time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose that to Andrew next time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him that I need pa <laughs> passive brainstorming time. Yeah, get Andrew back in the room and we'll sell some passive brainstorming time. Our CEO is going to be like, how much is this passive yeah. brainstorming going to yeah. cost us? Uh, just remind him you can be doing other things with your passive brainstorming time, right? Uh, we like to call it, there was a word for it. This is so funny. Um, I, I don't even remember. I'll, I'll, if I remember it, I'll bring yeah, it Yeah, but it's really because uh, Jared calls me every other uh, night on 7 at 7 p.m. Because I think that's when he gets his best thinking done uh, when he's walking the dogs. Um <laughs> And he's just like, he brings up stuff that we talked about like a week ago. And it's like, 
that's when we have our best talks. Yeah. In my opinion. There is so much to be said for that process. It is real. There is like a reality to what you just said. It's so funny. The best ideas come to me when I'm in two places. Um, one, and this is where the best ideas come from. It's in the restroom somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> the shower. So okay. the reason why I say the shower is because I'm only focused on literally one thing. But it's literally like that's the only thing. I don't have a phone with me. I don't have like I don't listen to music in the shower. It's yeah. literally just that. Um, so I think that's one reason why it happens. The second one is is when I walk the dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have my phone. And I'm usually listening to a podcast at some sort. But uh, but that's and I think, again, it's. Maybe it's also just getting a little bit more blood flowing. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're like exercising, things like that. So, you know, we've all had a different year. I think this last year has been different for a lot of people. It's schedules have changed a lot. And some of us are getting probably more or less of that passive brainstorming time. And hopefully you can audit your own life and see a difference. Right. And what do you need to do to adjust? I used to do a ton of like urban walking. And then I've like moved to a climate where that's not as accessible and man, I just feel like I don't get that th- same thinking time that I used to get. And yeah, it definitely has an impact. Innovation hours, by the way, that's what I was trying to innovation think. Hours. Innovation hours. Yeah, we used nice. to, that was the, the, the term we coined it. Like, can I get some innovation hours for that? It's weird. I hate that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like right. passive brainstorming a lot. Oh, uh, all right. Let's move back into masters of engagement. Tell us a little bit more. I mean, you gave us like the overview and sort of like the the elevator pitch of what the business is. But tell us a little bit more about it. And I definitely want to hear more about the podcast show. Yeah. So Masters of Engagement is honestly just something I absolutely love doing. Right. And it is the nuance. It's it's there's a million brand stories being told out there. How do we tell them better? And so I just want to work within that segment. And I'm, you know, honestly still trying to figure out the best way to do that. I have done a ton of in-person workshops. Love those. Uh, again, this last year has been different, right? So I moved a lot of that online and done some workshops for teams online. And that's been terrific, right? Just helping them understand their media strategy and really dive into, okay, how can I make every video more engaging? And then how do I make a whole bunch of videos that are going to move my business in the way that I need it to move? So workshops is a key part of that. Um, also working on this Masters of Engagement digital experience, which is much more of a collaborative effort where, you know, people across the industry can come together and they spend one week going through not just this Masters of Engagement curriculum, but more importantly, bouncing ideas off of each other and working through these really hard problems that are hard for media people to solve. Uh, and coming out, you know, way better at what we do. So I really see masters of engagement as like a piece of critical professional development that creators should be going through, um, you know, maybe on an annual basis, but I think it's really kind of the foundation. Like you should at least go through it once and make sure that you have these fundamental skills of engagement to do what you're doing. So uh, that's how I'm seeing masters of engagement. It's really professional development for creatives. And then uh, the the video production daily podcast has been really interesting, too, because that has just opened up a ton of uh, possibilities and opportunities for me, which I never expected. Yeah. So many problems. (laughs) Well, it has. Okay, let's talk about the problems. There are problems, too. Right. Let's get right to the the heart of the conflict. Don't ever launch a podcast and call it anything daily. That's just insane. Everybody that's listening, please write that down yeah. Yeah. or at least think about it before you decide to call it that. Yeah, I, I really thought, you know, I just need to publish something every day. It's going to be super simple. I'll just do it on my phone. And then like 10 minutes later, I'm like, well, if I don't do this on my phone, like I can really up the quality. I can do something better. And then, you know, it goes from like a 15 minute commitment to get people five minutes a day to like all of a sudden it's 45 minutes, an hour and a half. And now I put like four hours in per episode uh, for a, a really short episode. But 
they're good. They're really good. So I'm proud of them. Um, and yeah, it, it has opened up a ton of doors for me. Uh, you know, I've been able to monetize that in other ways, which has been incredible. It's, it's interesting once you start to collect audiences, um, you know, that is a really valuable tool. So anyway, I, I love it. Uh, right now I'm working on season three. So we've just, uh, launched, uh, exclusively with Brightco for a while. They've got it up on one of their platforms, Play TV. Uh, but then it's going to be available in the podcast apps and, and YouTube, uh, because now there's a video component to what we're doing. But the idea for this season three is let's take five incredible video producers that create content in their given industries. And then let's march them through some really hard questions, right? Like we start with a softball, like how did you create your incredible career? But then we start talking about, okay, what does the pre-production process look like? How do you get feedback on what you're trying to do? What are the story structures that you use? You know, what is the economic measurable impact you have on businesses? And so we've got seven weeks of content that just really go deep with these different video producers. And so, I, you know, I'm proud. I feel like I've created something really incredible. I'm glad that that's rolling out. And uh, I'm so overwhelmed. Like, I'm, I'm not even thinking about season four yet. I'm, I'm still just trying to think, how do we finish season three? So it's going to be uh, a seven-week consecutive experience. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad that it's 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 getting done. And it's been a labor of love. But it, it is... Uh, if you're interested at all in video, you really should check out this, this specifically season three. All of the content is pretty evergreen, so there's something there for everyone. But uh, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be a true experience. Nice. Do you guys touch on anything sort of like uh, revolving around the climate currently in 2020, just like how things have pivoted? And I know you mentioned yeah, it's evergreen, so I, but just just in case. Yeah, in season two, we did a lot actually on creating remotely. So that's already out there in any of the podcasting apps, right? We talked to different people that were helping to solve that problem. Um, production is in an interesting spot right now because people are starting to get back on set with some really strict kind of, um, you know, workarounds in place to make sure that you've got the social distancing and you've got all of the protective equipment that you need. It's a real ordeal. Um, and at the same time, there's a massive media vacuum where everyone wants to be consuming content. And so there's an opportunity for people who can make stuff right now. Uh, in fact, it's interesting. I was just having uh, a conversation yesterday or two days ago for the podcast with Casey Shindell. So he used to be an executive producer at Airbnb, at Tesla. And we were talking about all of these product launches. Um, and with so much of the media landscape kind of on hiatus, it's a lot easier for these major brands. You know, we already talked about the Tesla launch or the SpaceX launch, but you know, like these product launches are really filling kind of an entertainment gap that we have. And so there's a huge opportunity right now for brands to make great content, but it's, it's tricky to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Great example of that. We actually highlighted this in our, uh, our internal podcast, uh, about a week ago, but the Travis Scott collaboration with PS five, they did a short film for it. So, I mean, the PS5 doesn't need any more love. It's been hyped up. For, right. I don't know. People have been waiting for it for like 45 yeah, years. Yeah. And if now, anyone's right? listening and has two, I'm looking to buy one. So please. <laughs> he will pay double the price. That's not true. <laughs> not true. Um, but yeah. So just jumping back into that, like the PS5 and Sony PlayStation brand itself doesn't need any more hype. Right. But I think they saw a pretty good gap in, in the entertainment space to sort of do something different where they created this really abstract music video ish commercial commercial short film um i don't know if anybody's had a chance to check it out there definitely check it out it's really it's kind of weird it's weird it's kind of weird but it's also really kind of cool it's very travis um scott. it's very travis scott yeah it's if you've ever listened to his music and you notice that there's sometimes three songs within yeah. one song mm -hmm. that's how this uh this film feels um but yeah 
it's it, that's a great example right there of, of sort of like what you're talking about. Yeah. If you can fill that media vacuum with something, you know, palpable that people want to consume, it's a great time to be able to do that's that. That's why there's so many bad shows on Netflix right now. So many bad shows happening. But which one? Which one? Uh, you know, <laughs> no, but uh, you know, it's funny. I really feel like two years ago it was all about engagement, but we've had this weird year where it's like, man, if you just know how to create content, you're going to find yeah. tons of opportunities because well, there's not only is, does that vacuum exist, but then also with everybody trying to do every event digitally and just yeah. everything that's going on, it's an amazing time to know to have. These. So this is really interesting. Um, so Quibi, as most people probably out there who are listening may know that they launched and failed all during this this period of time, which is really interesting because they're in the middle of this vacuum where they did have a ton of co- content and quality. But the, I think and I'm definitely not an expert in this by any means, but I think where they sort of failed um to see the at the or the environment that they were sort of launching in like youtube was already serving the purpose that they already were, that they were trying to get to with the exception of the quality of the content and the the star power in the content but i think had they taken a different approach you know i think they could have sort of the technology was amazing this like ability to flip your phone in different directions and sort of like tell these short stories within 10 minutes yeah. um i think was was really cool but i just think they were Somebody else is going to do it at some point and get it right, right? But um, they just sort of refuse to notice that, like, hey, YouTube's been doing this forever. <laughs> you know, they the creators on YouTube are already doing this for free. Yeah, also, sorry. Um, also, people don't want... It's like this ga- this great space that's out there. Like, people are kind of like, they don't need high-quality content anymore. Right. It's right. just weird because we have all this technology on our phones um, that can shoot in 4K, like... But it's like, I don't care, you know, like as long as it's yeah. more authentic and like t- well, the content is still the king. Yeah. Content is still. So this, you know, I'm going to get selfish again, but this is exactly the question Let's that drove it. me into masters of engagement. Right. Because it's like, it's not the production value. What is it? What is it? Uh, and you, you have to have an answer for that. So, you know, my whole thing is you have to at least have a theory of why your audience is going to be engaging with your content. And maybe it is authenticity. I think that that's a tremendous one, but uh, you know, there are other principles of engagement out there too. And when you go to create a piece of content, you better have a pretty compelling theory as to why people are going to engage with it. It's a great way to say, I was going to say, let's sign end up. It on yeah. That. Sign up for masters of engagement. <laughs> if you're a content creator, we will, we will end on that. And I want to let the audience know where they, where can they find masters of engagement and all things Luke Hale? Well, you know what? Uh, Video Production Daily, the podcast, is a great way to connect with the brand. It's kind of the the content wing of what we're trying to do. So I would I would look it up in the podcast app or subscribe on YouTube. Uh, the new the YouTube thing is brand new, uh, so we'll be getting some episodes out there. Uh, but then you know, mastersofengagement.com. That's where you can find the uh, the most brand info. Awesome. We will link all that in the show notes. Luke, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us. Yeah, very generous of you guys. And two, I just want to say, man, incredible content that you guys are producing. I have to say being part of this podcast has been so enlightening because uh, I'll give the audience a little bit of a sneak peek. Like the brief that they sent was exquisite. The the introduction to the podcast, what it is, like the invitation to be part of this. uh, You know, you guys are really doing something right. And I just would love to see your your briefs that you guys throw around there for projects because I'm sure they're beautiful. Will do. We'll, uh, we'll get that over to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, it's been amazing to be a part of it. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode. Thanks to Luke for being our guest. And thanks to our team who put this together. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about the Lights, Camera, Grow podcast. You can find it in Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.